Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. We have a really, really good one today. Speaking with a lot of financial advisors more every day that are interested in the RIA channel and have the conversation all the time. Should I go out and launch my own RIA or plug into an existing one and take advantage of the scale that they already have built there? And we have Alex Goss, the CEO of New Edge Advisors, on the podcast today to just talk about the amazing growth story that he's had. Him and his father made the move to independence in 2014 just to find a better way to serve their clients and just through some amazing entrepreneurial spirit and some really, really hard work. New Edge today is up to $40 billion in client assets, over 300 financial advisors um, that are partnering underneath their umbrella and uh, really excited for him to tell a story. Alex, thank you so much for joining today. I really appreciate yeah. it. Thank you, Corey. Uh, really looking forward to this conversation. Obviously, known each other for a while, so this will be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again. Uh, if you don't mind uh, just starting off and, and, and talking about kind of how New Edge came to be, I think it would be really beneficial. Yeah, I think you know, I'm a financial advisor, uh, still am, still have some clients. Um, we really, what we found happened is is in 2008 you had all of these really great firms that advisors enjoyed and really were happy to be a part of I think your AG Edwards your Smith Barney's your Morgan Keegan's Prudentials you know typically the regional broker dealer kind of firms all went away and advisors were left with like no choice you had just a couple of predominantly bank-owned wirehouses um you know, running the space. And since then, you've just seen almost universal dissatisfaction with with that business model. So 08 was really the beginning in my mind when when the independent option became a legitimate option, not that it wasn't, but perceived to be a legitimate option by larger, more complex teams and wirehouses. Um, and you know that that trend has grown, so that's why, really, we we left to start our own RIA. Uh, we left the wirehouse to do that at LPL Financial, start our own RIA, and really just for our own clients. And then began to realize pretty quickly that there's a lot of other bigger teams out there that wanted all the benefits of the RIA or hybrid RIA space, but didn't necessarily want to run their own RIA. They wanted to get back to what they loved doing and that was taking care of clients and feeling like they had kind of the freedom, flexibility and autonomy to do that. And that in our opinion really only exists in the RA space. So we started, we shift, shifted from just a RA for my own clients to really a, an, an RIA for other successful advisors to tap into uh, right around 2014. And it was just right place, right time. We began to snowball um, and advisors, I think there's two kinds of advisors, advisors that really want to go run everything and run their own compliance and be their own RA and more power to you. But there's a lot of advisors that really just wanted to work with their clients and have fun again and didn't want to have to do all of the, the backend work to get to that uh, experience. And, uh, you know, that's really the, the kind of niche that, that we've fallen into. So. When, 
when when you made the loop to RIA from Wells Fargo to Wells Fargo Finet to you know tr truly independent, like what what was the biggest light that went off in terms of you know how you could serve your clients? Uh, it was so I was as you mentioned I was at Wells Fargo PCG, which is their W two channel, and uh, we wanted to go independent like everybody else did at the time, um, so that we could be free and flexible. And I remember, so we went from the Wells Fargo independent, I mean, W2 channel to their independent channel, which was not RIA. Um, and uh, I remember about two or three weeks after making that switch, you know, I was pretty frustrated with the branch compliance bureaucracy and, and all of that. And there was a compliance individual that I particularly didn't get along with because they were just, it was always no, 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 you know, treating me like I was some kind of criminal. And, um, I pick up the phone about, you know, to do something that I needed compliance. And all of a sudden the other person on the other line, it's that same compliance person. And it was like that Kramer moment when it's like, hello, Newman, you know, that kind of thing. It was like that moment <laughs> happened. And I was like, oh my God, I'm in the exact same situation that I was in. This is not any more independent. And that's when the light bulb really went off that like the RA space is where you truly are independent by nature of your relationship. You, you're licensing the ability to do business at major custodians. You have choice whether or not you want to continue to do business with them versus in the corporate IBD space. You're kind of, you know, you know, like it or leave it. It wasn't that it was an employment status change, not a not a operational or client experience change. So that's when the light went off that the RAA space is really where I think you're 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 given the ability to still have all the major resources of the major massive custodians out there, but you kind of are able to control a little bit more of your operating and client experience in a customized way. Nice. Yeah. I, I tell financial advisors all the time, there's a humongous difference between what FINRA and SEC says you can do as an independent business owner and what a really large firm is comfortable you know, policing across, you know, 12,000, 14,000, 15,000 financial advisors. It's it's completely night and day. That, that's spot on. Most people don't realize that, right? Most people are frustrated about by the quote unquote, doing air quotes here, of, of the compliance rigor and structure, and they blame FINRA or the SEC. You know, I mean, there are for sure black and white things you can or cannot do, right? And those remain, whether you're part of a firm or your own, but a lot of the things that people are frustrated with really to your point, or it's the box that these massive firms created to try to figure out how do they manage 17,000 advisors? Well, that, that they can't really have, it has to be a really tight, restrictive, often lowest common denominator box. And most times people are, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that I don't FINRA SEC they're you know, I'm, I'm okay being both. It's the firm you're with and how they, um, you know, put their own policies and procedures in place to enforce or protect against things that FINRA and the SEC want you to do that can become, you know, overreaching or, or, or oftentimes created by lawyers that uh, are risk averse and then you're just stuck in a box where it's basically, we prefer you do nothing because if you do nothing, that's the least amount of risk, you know, possible. And, and we have to do something. We got to serve our clients. Without a doubt. So I still speak with a lot of wirehouse advisors all the time that 
say, Corey, like, I'm not going to go to the RIA channel. They don't have the same tools and capabilities that, you know, my traditional wirehouse does. I mean, you you being a financial advisor in inside of a wirehouse, you being one at a, at a leading broker dealer on the independent side, and then, you know, opening up your own RIA. What, what, what do you say to that? I mean, that's just the scare tactic the wirehouses use, right? So uh, we have all, and to be honest, it was correct 10 or 15 years ago, right? Like 10 or 15 years ago, the wirehouses absolutely had a monopoly on product, technology, client experience. But I mean, technology has changed the world. It's changed our industry too. I mean, just just think about what a client has access to if they open up a, you know, a, a direct Schwab, you know, investor account or a Fidelity account. I mean, most individual investors have more access to products, you know, investment vehicles, research, technology, analytic tools, as just an individual investor with a, you know, $5,000 Schwab account than people do with the big wire. So it's just not true. Uh, and I think that's what kind of is, is what technology has done and why the RA space is so amazing is that, you know, I'm using LPL, I'm using Fidelity, I'm using Ray J, I'm using Schwab, we're using Goldman Sachs as our custodians, right? So we get everything that those custodians have to offer. So I've got five times the amount, you know, um, and if one doesn't have something, the other does. So, I mean, it's just, it is, it's so much the opposite. You have it's actually the biggest issue is you is how how much more you have than how little. It takes a little bit of time, uh, you know, getting your arms around. Oh my goodness, there's all of these other things that I can choose from. You know, that's really the bigger issue is you know the one or two years once you kind of set yourself free, spending the time to kind of do your own due diligence and research and everything you now have at your fingertips. Yeah, it's it's overwhelming to yeah. to say the least. And mm -hmm. uh, analysis paralysis could could come in the could come really really quickly if you don't have yeah, something. It's, like, it's the dog that caught the bus. It's like I need more freedom flexibility. It's like here it is. And you're like, oh wow, that's uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of nice when I was only told I could use ten things. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I mean, Alex, New Edge has had faster growth than almost any other RIA I've, I've, I've ever seen in the industry. It's, it's truly been impressive. I think last year you guys had like 9 billion in assets under management. If, if I'm wrong on that number, you can correct me come into the firm in, in, in a year, I think, but yeah, that's um, what, what do you think? Let me back up for a second. You know, the, the RIA space is just an extremely, competitive place now. There's there's new platforms popping up every single day that have different value propositions. They're all trying to solve different things for 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 financial advisors in a different way. I mean, what has led to the ridiculous growth you guys have had over the last couple of years? Well, let me first state that what you mentioned is true. There are more firms now out there competing really competing, right? So there are more firms that actually do have value and do have technology and do have something to offer advisors. So that's a really, it's it's a really exciting time to be an advisor because you have 
more choice now of who you join and what you need than you've had in a long time. Um, our success, I think, has has been recognizing that there are all sorts of advisors out there that are unhappy and all sorts of advisors need different kinds of you know, things. And we decided to not try to be all things for all advisors and really laser focused on a specific niche, which is kind of already arrived advisors that are more successful, you know, that are a little bit more enterprise in nature, usually two or three advisors, two or three support staff or more, you know, they're dealing with more complex needs. So we focused on those, whereas I think a lot of the other firms kind of, you know, they'll take not all of them, but a good portion of them will go after any kind of advisor. And, you know, that's where they struggle because it's hard to be everything for everybody. And you don't need to be everything for everybody right now. There's so many advisors out there. Pick your niche, pick your value proposition uh, and, and be absolutely dedicated to it. So that's helped us as we're focused on, you know, a specific type of advisor. We don't talk to advisors that we know are outside of that. Um, that's helped us kind of not waste each other's time. Like I talk to an advisor, our team talks to an advisor, we'll know within, you know, 10 minutes whether we're a good fit for each other and not spend three months back and forth trying to convince each other, you know, we're good or not the right fit only to realize like, you know, we're probably not. And I think that's, that's what happens. I think a lot of other groups are just, they're talking to anybody and everybody. Uh, and, um, you know, they should just be talking to the kind of their core target advisor group. Yeah. And that was an important thing for me to add, I, you know, on, on top of this growth, that hasn't been like growth in exchange of, of quality. It's been really, really impressive, you know, financial advisors, large, complex, you know, independent teams, corner office, wirehouse teams. It's been, it's been really impressive for sure. Um, one thing that, you know, helping financial advisors explore their options and exploring your firm that I have found really, really attractive and my advisors that I help have found really, really attractive is your, your, your low cost outsourced or, or insourced, however you want to say it models. Um, I speak with a lot of financial advisors every day that would definitely consider outsourcing their models to free up their time. But on the independent and the RIA space, that is very, very expensive with 99% of options out there, 25, 35 basis points. Can you talk to me about your rationale and dig in deeper on, on, on these models and uh, you know why you're less expensive than most people out there in the industry when it comes to that? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the financial advisors moved into discretionary kind of advisor-driven uh, portfolio or investment or model management, you know, really started taking off in 09 after the financial crisis, um, one to gain control, right? Because they felt like the money managers didn't do a good job making decisions during the 08 crisis. So that was kind of like the beginning of it. Um, and then as fee-based management took off, like you said, it'd be, you know, outsourcing is so expensive in the midst of a fee compression environment, right? Like the average client fee isn't coming down a ton, but it is, there is fee compression 
And, uh, you know, so to absorb just a 40 basis point manager fee and then go charge your client, you know, 1.5, well, you can do it. People do it all the time. But I mean, that's a pretty big chunk of the client fee going out the door. So a lot of advisors, I think, manage money in-house when they probably shouldn't, right? Like some are really good at it and more power to them. But I think a lot of advisors did it. Hey, I can do this. You know, nobody really has beaten the benchmark anyway. I can, I can match that. And, you know, one, maybe they are, but it's not a free lunch. It takes a ton of time to do. Um, and it also creates risk, right? Because now the buck stops with you when it comes to performance. And all of a sudden advisors are having conversations with their clients about performance when it used to not be about that. It used to be the overall you know, structure and, hey, this manager isn't working out. We'll fire them and hire this one. Now it's like, you can't really fire yourself for performance. So I think it's a big problem. But to your point, it's extremely expensive to outsource it. Uh, what we found is that most of the third-party money management out there doesn't require a 30, 45 basis point fee. Most of that fee is going or are going to, fees are going to the house, the wirehouse, um, or you know, the the platforms like an InvestNet or Tamarack or something like that. They're they're collecting a big chunk of that um of that uh that manager fee. The managers you know, they might be getting some percentage of that, but a lot of the, their revenue comes from either float kickback from the from the platforms or internal expense ratios if they have their own mutual funds or ETFs in the model. So when we started getting more to scale, we realized, you know, we don't have to upcharge for these necessarily. So for us, our goal is like, let's, let's make the decision about whether or not you want to manage money yourself or outsource a value proposition decision, not a cost one. So we pretty much, I mean, there's still some cost to it, but we pretty much got our outsourced money management fees pretty close to what it costs to do it yourself. So our advisors that are doing it themselves are doing it themselves because they're passionate about managing money themselves. They feel really good about it. They think it's a part of their value proposition. And the ones that aren't are, off, are, are outsourcing it. And that gives them a ton of time we're probably now managing close to 60 to 70% of our advisors' discretionary money in-house, which is a lot bigger percentage than you know, some of these other shops that charge a ton of a ton of asset, a ton of uh, money to, to manage it. Yeah, I was just reading a study the other day um, from, from Asset Mark, and they said 87% of the financial advisors that have outsourced money management. I think they pulled a thousand financial advisors at 87% were just having a much more enjoyable practice with a lot more time in their day. But the other thing was they were, you know, growing 33% higher per year. So it was really, really interesting. And I'm, I'm glad we dug into this because I think a lot of employee financial advisors don't know how outsourcing your money management is going to impact your bottom line on the independent side. We're working with an Edward Jones advisor right now that I, I, I actually sent over to have a conversation with you, but doing 2 million in trailing 12 production, all fee-based at 1%. And he wants to start outsourcing and he's starting to look at some firms and $500,000 of his 2 million in revenue would go out the door just to money management fees if he was going to outsource. 
with pretty much anyone else but New Edge, where with you, he has the ability to have, you know, the same models with that going back into his business and in his pocket, which is just a humongous, a humongous savings. Yeah, it's hard to tell your clients that it's going to be better where I'm going and I'm really excited about this. Oh, by the way, I have to increase your fees by 25 basis points, you know, so that I can still net, you know, the same amount. So, I mean, you hit you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's, it's a, um, you know, 90% payouts or people need to think about that is, is, you know, what is the actual percentage that you're collecting on the total fee the client's paying? relative to where you are right now. And I think, you know, everybody here, oh, 90% is great. But like you said, like in that case, like a lot of firms, it's not 90% of 100%, it's 90% of 75% because 25 basis points went to, you know, some platform to outsource it. So then what ends up happening is an advisor like that that's never managed money before says, ah, you know, whatever, I'll start, I'll manage the money myself. How hard can it be? And it takes time. There's a lot of risk. It's not fun. And I'm a huge believer in what you just said, that that asset market strategy is spot on. You give a successful advisor 10, 20, 30% of their time back, you know, that they would otherwise be spending managing money, they're going to grow faster because they're going to be doing what? Instead of in their room looking at, you know, PE ratios of individual equities, they're going to be talking to clients and they're going to be out prospecting and you know thinking about ways to grow. And they're just going to grow. So that's my whole belief is if you are, if you're already successful, the best thing that you can do to continue growing is get as much of your time back into the things that helped you get to where you are to begin with. Uh, you know, cause there's no firm, like I can't help an advisor grow. I, I don't believe I, my personal belief is, you know, it's kind of in your DNA, successful advisors are born, you know? So if you've gotten 2 million of production, you're doing something different you're successful. There's something about you that's unique. You know, I want to, I want to help accelerate and give you more of that uniqueness back versus like trying to tell you to, you know, call this many clients a day or use this marketing strategy. I, I think a $2 million advisor is going to be better at figuring out how to get clients than any firm would be. For sure. So I mentioned earlier in this, in this conversation, that there's just a lot of competition popping up every single day out there uh, and on the RIA space. And there's a lot of smaller $1 billion, $2 billion companies that are you know, trying to recruit really heavily right now. I think we just gave one example with the outsource, insourced models that we were just talking about that they can get with a larger organization that you can't really get with a, with a smaller firm. But what does an advisor get plugging in with a new edge that they, that they wouldn't get with a, with a smaller RIA? Um, well, uh, again, I mean, it's a, our firm is geared towards successful advisors. So we, everything that we have is really for teams that are, that already have infrastructure, right? So we're not promising you that we're going to do your back office or front office work. Like our things are again, like helping you have more time. So money management. We also have, you know, a pretty robust suite of CFAs and portfolio managers that if you do have a complex case, they can come in and meet with the client, um, you know, get creative around uh, individual money management. We have a pretty large marketing team that can help you build your website, um, launch marketing strategies, 
really customize you know, your digital presence. Um, another huge piece of who we are is our culture. So it's all bigger teams. Um, you, know, you mentioned our AUM, but it's not a lot of groups. I mean, 300 groups for 40 billion in assets is not a ton of, of groups. So we get together all the time. Like every good idea that our advisors get come from an advisor. Like that's our that's our biggest, to be honest, you know, value is that we've got successful advisors. So we have uh, regional kind of study groups we get together. We have national groups we get together. We have monthly calls. A lot of it is about just kind of sharing ideas and hearing how other teams across the country that kind of look and feel like yourself are operating together. Um, we had a pretty significant uh, FinTech team. So we call it customizing your tech stack. There's a whole if you ever look at that Michael Kitts's chart of like all the fintech that's out there, I mean, it gets bigger every day. There's thousands of things that you can use. It's not just about whether you want to use it. It's how does it integrate with your custodian? Does it integrate with your CRM? Does it integrate with, I mean, there's, it's not just a, oh, I want to use this and turn it on. So we have a really big team that helps our advisors if they find a fintech or a third-party technology that they want to integrate into their client experience, uh, integrate that not just on the front end for the client, but all the way back oftentimes to billing and uh, an account opening. Um, you know, think like Orion is a perfect example. Orion, everybody's heard of it, right? Huge piece of, of our core technology. Orion is not an off-the-shelf technology. You know, you have to have, we've hired, I think, four or five people directly from Orion to come in and help us build Orion in a way that it you know gives our advisors and our back office a digital and efficient scale you know piece of the business. So again, I mean, our kind of our business model is pretty much like we deal with people that probably could be their own RA from a size and scale standpoint, but shouldn't, right? And then don't want to. And we price ourselves to be you know right around kind of what it would look like if you were operating your own RA, and then we add on all of these other services that uh, and, and resources that an individual team, like I have my own practice, I've, we're roughly about a billion um, under management of my own personal practice. Like I can't afford on my own, on my own practice, a lot of the resources that my practice now gets because of this, uh, you know, bigger organization that we're tapped into. So let, let, let's just let's just pivot to that. So every day I'm having conversations with advisors about the RIA channel. It's exciting for a lot of different reasons: the technology, the investment flexibility, the compliance flexibility. We could go on about that about that forever. But the next conversation after that is, you know, do I do it myself or do I tuck in with someone existing, like a new edge? you have to have this conversation with, you know, advisors and home office visits and phone conversations all the time. What, what, what are some of the things that you think they should be considering when they're trying to make that decision? Um, we've gotten to, I'll be, I'll be completely candid here. We've gotten to a place where we're not trying to convince people to not start their own RA and join us, right? Because that's, that's a hard thing to do. You know, um, and it, and it really the only way you we're at, the only way you recognize you don't want to start your or run your own RA in a lot of cases is by doing it. So we actually have a lot of firms 
we just brought on an $800 million RAA. So I'm tired of doing it. We're ready to, you know, I just want to get back to the client side. Um, I, I think it's about like, why do you want to run your own RAA, right? The reasons to do your own RAA, if you're doing something really, you know, off the wall or really different, um, heavy and alternative, you want to help people invest in local real estate, things like that. Like a firm like ours isn't going to be able to accommodate that kind of thing. So, I mean, if you're, if that's why you're trying to go be an RA, sure. Um, we are seeing a shift back to advisors or bigger advisors. They don't have to do everything themselves. They just want to really be, have fun again, enjoy working with their clients doing that prior to the last six or seven years, you kind of had to start your own RIA to get that. So now there's myself and probably, you know, there's probably about 15 other firms that are, are really actually providing value. They're doing that. So advisors can kind of, it's really more about, I think, you know, who are you? What do you need? You know, talk to a firm like ours, talk to a couple of other firms and, you know, find the one that's able to kind of, that all the advisors that are with them look and feel like you and you feel like you're, you know, finding the right home. If you're really passionate about, and you just want to do it, you want to, you want to run technology and integration and, you know, custodian and billing and do all those things, you know, more power to you, go ahead and do it. And so I, I tell people, it's not that you can't do it. I mean, I did it right. Like, you know, I, you can do it. It's really a question of like, should you be doing it? And why are you doing it? I'll say this, there's a lot, we see a lot of groups wanting to start their own RA. Usually, not usually, let's just say that there's a decent chunk that want to start their own RA because there's somebody on that team that's probably trying to justify their existence. And, you know, a lot of times it's like a younger advisor on the team. There's somebody that's saying, look, I can do this and we'll make that much more money it's uh, you know be careful if you're a senior kind of advisor do you have somebody on your team that's really pushing starting an RIA and them saying they can run it and they can do it all themselves yeah I won't even fight that battle because I'm not going to win it but you know it's unfortunate because I see it I see this group I know they shouldn't be there on RIA I know it's not what's best for their clients but you've got this other person there that's you know I can do it for less I can make a little you know but really they're trying to justify their own existence. They're probably not bringing in a ton of clients on their own. And they're trying to say, you know, this is how they're going to, you know, validate their compensation or maybe an uptick in compensation. I see that more and more and more every day. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's, there's no right answer. You know, I speak with so many financial advisors that are having a bad experience inside of the wirehouse model. There's people, they just say, Corey, I just want to be left alone to do what's right for my clients. And initially they feel like opening up their own RIA is going to give them that ultimate flexibility. And it's cool. I mean, you literally get to build your own wealth management race car from the ground up. You get to pick your custodian. You get to build your you get to build your CRM and your trading tools and your client aggregation tools. Everything is to your exact specifications. But when you build your own race car, you, you you also need a pit crew to fix everything when it breaks. And that that pit crew is is typically you. And I don't think a lot of financial advisors, when they're making the decision, there's plenty of people it's right for, but I don't think they take into account when they go through their profitability analysis, 
how much their time is worth and how much time they're going to step away from their clients. Yeah, I mean, it's almost, it's the, the catch-22 or almost the irony of it is they're trying to leave a wirehouse so they can get more time and flexibility to spend with their clients and enhance their client experience. The RA space provides that, but you end up with as much or less time because you're running and, you know, the pit crew, if you will, and doing it on your own. So that's why like firms like ours are, I think, really starting to um, take shape is we get, you don't sacrifice the customization of the client experience, the tech stack, the choice of custodian, you know, the the aggregation tool you want, the, you know, all of that still is able, you know, you're still able to choose it all. Somebody else just puts it all together for you and gives it to you, you know, and if you can do it at a cost that's, you know, comparable to if you were to do it your, yourself, why would you do it, right? And I think that's kind of, that's my, like, why would you do this yourself if we can do everything for the exact same cost? And, you know, the answer, if they, if they don't say, oh yeah, that's right, it's usually because one, they have an unrealistic view of actually how much it's gonna cost, both in quantitative and, and time, you know, and then, or two, there's somebody else driving that decision because they're trying to justify who they are on the team. I try to tell financial advisors too that it's you know pretty easy if an RIA that you plug into if they're not giving you the value that you want it's not very hard to go out and open up your own RIA from there it's infinitely you know less friction than making a move your first move from a broker dealer to a to you know to an RIA so i mean if it, you can take the leap, you know, spend 10 years or five years getting used to the RIA side, very likely that RIA is going to provide enough value for you to stay. But if you want to do it on your own on that standpoint, it's a much easier transition than ripping off the Band-Aid and doing it straight from Wirehouse or wherever to to opening up your own RIA. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's not even comparable, right? Like, I mean, account numbers stay the same. Um, oftentimes there's no client paper signatures required to do it. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's your data and your transaction and performance history comes with you. I mean, it's, it's pretty easy, you know, which, which also is why our firm, like we're really, you know, particular about finding advisors. Like if you were to pull 95% of my advisors, like even if they'd make three or five percent more doing their own RA, which they won't, they still they would just never do it. It's just the like the advisors that are joining firms like ours, they just thinking about doing that themselves isn't just isn't something they ever even want to do. So as long as I just make their existence, we deliver on what we're saying, and they're happy, they're never gonna go start their own RA. But it is nice to know that if for some reason we don't or we change who we are, you can. It's kind of the last stop on the train tracks like once you're in the ra custody space you're there like it's you know there's no and it could be a custodian issue right you might have joined you know x custodian and you really liked them but x custodian stops offering something or you don't like the experience or whatever it is you can move to another custodian and you can do that over a 12 24 month time frame yeah. so what that means is the custodians have to earn your business, they, they all say, we don't have just to earn your business, we have to earn every new account you open because 
you can you can change custodians pretty easily as well. So I mean, it, it's a it's a true it's truly independent. It's truly where you finally own the experience, the choice, you know, everything, and you can't get that outside of the RA space. Our advisors can leave us, you know, 30 days notice. I mean, that's our, you know, like we're, we're not, we're, you're totally at will. You know, I like to say like, uh, we're not, you know, the, the loyalty or the stickiness of your advisors is not based on the, the contracts that you have with the advisors. It's the real question is if they can leave you, would they leave you? You know, yeah. that's, that's the true test of, of whether or not you're providing value or not. There's nothing wrong with taking multiple leaps on, you know, different lily pads to, you know, get to your destination, especially if it's not disrupting your, your clients or, 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 or your business. And right. very often they wind up staying ex exactly where they're at because of exactly what you said. So yep. um, I appreciate that. So Alex, another conversation that I've been having a ton over the last couple of years is the M&A space. Independent financial advisors and RIAs are, you know, super excited about the all-time valuations that they can currently get for their practice. And also, you know, wirehouse financial advisors are really excited about the same multiples they could get for their practice if they transition um, to, to independence versus the sunset programs that they have inside of their inside of the the wirehouse on the on the w2 side what are you seeing out there i know you've had a, a a ton of success on the mergers and acquisition side but um what have you been seeing out there recently and, and where have you been winning uh it's picking up as you said like a record pace um valuations are at all-time highs and that's not a bubble and it's not something that's going to pop it's because smart money has realized that Financial advisors have an asset that grows organically, um, is reoccurring revenue. Um, they have clients that are adding money. The advisors are finding new clients. Got the market behind you. I mean, it's it's you know, think about software as a service. Like tech companies trade for really high AP ratios because of a lot of those things. But you still have to sign up new users. There's no like stock market pushing up, you know, user base or revenue you know, where it is, as it is in our space. So it's it's not a bubble. Uh, valuations are, are real and they should be real. You know, they should never have been valued after, you know, two times trailing 12. Like what what real business is based off of its gross revenue? That's a, you know, everybody is based off of their profitability and their profitability's organic growth. Um, so it's just smart money's waking up to it. Um, it's, it, you know, so... It's happening all over. Um, everybody's got their own kind of model or, or reason for entering into the M&A space. Um, I think um, there were some early players in that space, some of the big names. One just went private again. You've got others that are, uh, you know, they've been out there doing it that maybe didn't do it exactly the right way. I think the big issue is they bought these, like, big teams with retiring advisors, the retiring advisor left. And then the next gen was kind of like, well, I didn't get anything out of this. Why the, why am I going to sit around for 15 years making, make, making nothing? I'm going to go somewhere else. So uh, M&A strategy that takes care of both the senior partners and also the junior partners. And we call them G1 and G2. 
is really important. And that's, so our average advisor is 49 years old. So we have a really young average advisor age. So our focus has been on younger advisors with a lot of track, with a lot of career runway. Um, and we help them take some chips off the table, but we also give them a path to grow to basically, if they grow to basically restack those chips and have another liquidity event down the road. Um, and another huge reason why it's been successful for us is uh, because valuations have gone up, buying retiring advisor practices is becoming harder and harder to do with traditional debt financing, right? First of all, interest rates are crazy high now too, right? So interest rates are up, you know, now practices are going to sell for, you're not buying a practice for two times anymore. It's three times or more. Um, that's really hard to debt finance. Um, so what we're doing is we're buying these kind of younger, bigger practices. Um, we're establishing kind of a, um, a foothold in a market. And then we're going out and we're buying all of the retiring advisors that we can find in a 200 mile radius from those advisors. And then basically giving those practices to the younger advisors to manage, take over and kind of farm. So we're replacing the cash flow that we bought from them um, with, with new with new business. And I'm telling you what, what's amazing is when you see a younger advisor take over a retiring advisor practice, they grow those things. And it's just, they almost double them in two years because there's so much low hanging fruit in a, uh, in a, in a kind of, end of career advisor practice. So um, that's what we're seeing in our space. You know, you've got a lot of um, acquisitions. That, so that's if you're a practice, right? So that's if you're looking to sell your practice. Then there's like the platform side. So if you're a, if you want to build and private equity is the big misnomer. Private equity is not buying and are not buying individual practices, right? Like that's, you're, if you're an individual practice, you might get acquired by a firm that's backed by private equity like us or Focus or Hightower or, you know, Carson or, you know, WEG or, you know, all these firms. You're not going to get a direct investment from an individual private equity firm, typically speaking. Yep. You have to be, you have to be a really big platform. Um, and uh, we're seeing that happen now too. Like we're in talks with, some pretty good sized platforms that we're looking to buy now. Big has just gotten gigantic, right? Like, you know, we're at 45 billion now. We did nine last year. We're going to more than do that this year. You know, it's, it's a, you know, two, three, four billion is, is 5 billion, 6 billion, 7 billion is not big anymore. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a, it's an interesting world to kind of see from this side of the fence. Yeah, it's really interesting. We'll 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 have conversations with financial advisors all the time, you know, locally here in the Carolinas or wherever it is. But you know, a, a two million dollar group, and they're just speaking with you know local smaller RIAs in the area, and we just try to explain to them that you know the, these mom and pop shops cannot even come in the same ballpark as you know a, a multi billion dollar, forty billion dollar plus. RIA. They 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 cannot make the same deal cash flow. No, it's, it's just it's a different game. It's not even it's a different sport. You know, I mean, yeah. it's just not, and that's not there's nothing wrong with a um, you know, the, you know, a mom and pop or a smaller local acquisition. I mean, the money oh. is not the only thing, right? 
the fit and the qualitative nature of it, you can still get a really good deal locally, right? I mean, somebody's still going to pay money. It's just probably going to be more on like a an earn-out structure that's going to get paid out to you over five, seven, eight years. It's not going to be as much up front. Total package probably isn't going to be as much. Um, you know, that's not a bad solution necessarily, but, uh, you know, I mean, it is, you know, when, you know, it's, it's, you talk about a three or $4 million practice, you know, in the open market, you know, might be, you know, somewhere, depending on how profitable they are, somewhere between 20 and $30 million, you know, that's a lot different than, you know, 12 million, you know, paid out over six years. So it's kind of hard to ignore the money at this point. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it's not always about the money. And I think there's a lot of good firms out there that it's also not a scary thing. Like there's a lot of good firms out there. It's not just like they're going to ruin your practice. I mean, you just, again, you want to make sure the firm, if you are selling, you're selling to a firm that has a culture and a business model that's going to either give you the ability to continue to take care of your clients at least as good, if not better than you were before, or if you're retiring, you know, has a really good plan to take care of clients long-term. Um, and, and there are more and more options. There used to not be as many, but there really are now. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 we were talking on the, on the independent side, but I, I just think it's really important for wirehouse advisors just to know what they're, you know, potentially leaving on the table too. you know, a 2 million Absolutely. practice, you know, I was just, I was just at the echelon uh, deal and dealmakers conference last week, uh, which is, you know, one of the big, bigger um, M&A conferences in our industry and the panel I was on and a big theme of the, uh, of the conference was the breakaway from, you know, what's happening now from wirehouse advisors going RAA and M&A that's happening there. Like it's, it's, I think they're starting to look at, like you mentioned earlier, their sunset packages. I mean, my goodness, this is like, this is W2 income over five years of one and a half times versus, I mean, it's when you look at the tax equivalency of the deals, it's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like they are being taken advantage of in that model. Um, and, uh, eventually you'll start to see wirehouse offers come up. They're going to, as they've, you already see it with the transition money that's happening, you know, it's getting more competitive with the buyouts. So, um, we, we typically do the math and help a wirehouse advisor kind of, you know, just do on one side, what their sunset program will look like versus coming on with, with someone like a new edge, but one and a half times versus, and I'm not putting any valuations that you'd offer in. I'm not saying this is what New Edge would offer, but versus like four times, and then the and then that's only part of it, and then it's the difference between you know forty percent taxation at at ordinary income versus on the independent side twenty percent at long term capital gains. Typically, when we do the math on a three million dollar and above teams, it's two and a half to to three times more after tax money. It's it's wild. Yeah, and there's another piece that people I think often overlook is the time value of money, right? Because the deals with firms like ours, usually a hundred percent of that purchase price is paid out in the first twelve to twenty-four months. So you have your after-tax cash in your bank account, oftentimes on day one. You know, you know, so now that's growing, 
right? Versus, you know, paid out over five or six years. Like, you know, it's not, you know, it's people just, oh, that's not, it, it is real. I mean, it's, there's a real, you know, I mean, just, just throw a, I mean, look at CDs now. I mean, you can throw a, a 5%, you know, you know, return guaranteed on, on that money, you know, and let that compound over five years versus what you get. I mean, it become. I mean, the, the difference is just, it's just, it's crazy. Unbelievable. So Alex, my apologies. I didn't ask you this question in the beginning of the podcast, but in my opinion, one of the most impressive things about New Edge is just all the different business models that you have, you know, the different ways you're kind of meeting meeting financial advisors where they're at. Can you kind of talk about the different silos of of New Edge and how you're how you're helping advisors? Yeah. Um maybe at, at a high level it sounds complicated. It's really all the same. And basically we have we have two different divisions of the firm. One is really heavily focused on ultra high net worth family office uh services. So you know, your typical clients, 20 million and up, like really ultra high net worth. And we have some incredible resources, uh, both intellectual and uh, from a people standpoint, intellectual capital, and then also access to really bespoke alternative and, and hard to get uh, investments that really cater towards that side. It's run by Rob Seachin, uh, who's a pretty well-known uh, individual in the industry. He and our chief investment officer, Cameron Dawson, or on CNBC all the time. Um, and so if that's your focus and you're already a arrived you know, advisor and you need to tap into more of those kind of ultra high net worth resources, you know, that division of our firm is a perfect landing spot. We have a, you know, you can join as a as an independent advisor, or you can join through, you know, our MA strategy will buy you kind of turn you know run it through a w2 strategy so we're having a lot of success there and we also have you know for those advisors that focus more on kind of that one to 15 million dollar household or some of the ultra high net worth advisors that don't really need the resources um that the that the multifamily office side offers you know we have another RAA that you can affiliate with and again it's either w2 MA or 1099 so it's really, it's pretty simple. It's, you know, if you're an arrived advisor and you're doing, you're pretty successful, you know, it's really a question of, it's, there's two questions. What is your, what is your end client look like and what type of resources do you need to, to support and grow that end client base? We've got a home for you. And then whether or not you want to affiliate in a 1099 structure and kind of own most of your company and keep growing it, or if you want to affiliate through an M&A, W-2 type structure, take some chips off the table, but still have a path to grow it and maybe have a liquidity event down the road, we've got that structure as well. So we like to say, like, like I said, we have a home for elite advisors. You know, we don't define elite based on whether you're a, you know, ultra high net worth advisor or a more high net worth advisor. We think all advisors are elite once you've kind of hit that certain level, um, but what you need to service the client is a little different. And so that's why we're one of the only firms that really has kind of a, 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 a landing spot for both kinds of advisors. And then also too, if you're not focused on ultra high net worth, but one of your clients has a liquidity event that jettisons them up to all of a sudden the ultra space, 
you know, we can take all the resources on the ultra space and help try to keep and retain those assets for you. So it's been kind of fun to see how both sides complement each other. It's awesome to have that uh, that weapon that weapon in your arsenal, no doubt. Yeah, again, it's been helpful for sure. We've won some, uh, usually high net worth advisors don't keep, if you have a $5 million client and they become a 50 or $100 million opportunity, they're typically not keeping the, the bulk of those assets because you know, an ultra team will come in from somewhere else and try to paint out, paint the advisor to be unsophisticated. Yeah. So we're able to really kind of come in and compete and say, no, we've got all the sophistication, actually probably more sophistication um, and, and, and keep those assets with the advisor. Awesome. So Alex, I'm just curious in your opinion, I speak with a lot of financial advisors that are attached to a wirehouse that also have an independent channel. And it's sold as pretty easily to make a move from one place to another, like a like a Wells Fargo PCG to a to a Wells Fargo Finet, their independent channel, and I, and I'll help explain fin to financial advisors what they get by moving outside of a an, a Wells Fargo type of type of ecosystem. But there's no one better to talk about it than you because you were both at PCG, you were you moved over to Wells Fargo Finet and now have your your own RIA. Can, can can you talk to you know what an advisor should be thinking about when choosing path of least resistance versus more flexibility? Yeah. So I mean I, first of all, like you know, finite isn't necessarily a bad or Wells Fargo a bad place to be. It's just if you're unhappy at PCG, you're gonna still be unhappy at finite. Right. And that goes for all. If you're unhappy at Ameriprise's W2, you're going to be unhappy at Ameriprise's independent channel and every other firm that's out there because it's the exact same thing. It's not really anything different other than an employment structure change from W2 to you know, 1099. Everything else is the same. Compliance policies and procedures is the same. Access to technology is the same technology. You can't go multi custody. I mean, it's you're just as captive. It's just so. You know, if you're unhappy, you're still going to be unhappy, right? Um, so then let's take somebody that's unhappy uh, as the example, because if you're happy, it might be a good move for you. Um, if you're unhappy, then it's, a, well, I know I don't want to be here, but it seems easier. It's the path of least resistance. That was probably true nine or, you know, seven to nine years ago. What's happened now with the digitization of client account opening is it's actually almost identical, right? You still have to send out client consent paperwork to every client if you're going from one W2 channel to their independent channel and all the firms, the client has to consent to you know, the move. Um, you may not have to fill out the paperwork, but the client, you know, the, maybe the home office will do it for you, but they're still sending it out you know, the clients a lot of times actually have to actually sign it, um, you know, agreeing to the to the move. Um, you know, you're still running around trying to get your office space set up. You're still running around trying to get, you know, your new brand set up, your HR, your payroll, you know, all of those things set up. So leaving entirely, like, you don't need driver's license information anymore. You don't need, you know, all that KYC information you used to have to, you don't need statements anymore to move accounts. I mean, you fill out the account, the client docu-signs and clicks and the assets have moved within, you know, three days. So 
I would argue that that it's you know maybe it's slightly more comfortable for you to think that way because you know nobody's going to call on your clients right nobody's going to try to go after your clients but the reality is is that 98% of the clients you want to come with you are going with you no matter what happens and i have seen some horror stories in advisor transitions where you know they couldn't call clients for 2 months because of licensing issues or and they still brought over all their assets so it's it's really not that much different um might be a little bit more painful, but if you're un, I mean, the point is it goes back to, if you're unhappy, you're still gonna be unhappy. So why why go through that pain to be unhappy only to try to then go make the move two to three years later? You know, there's really no reason to do it. Not to mention now too, they put a lot of hooks because a lot of people have done that. They moved from W2 to independent. And now it's like a, you know, you're kind of locked in for six, seven years a lot of times or there's some financial penalties to leave. So, you know, bite the bullet, rip the Band-Aid. It's not harder. Um, and I think if you spend the time to understand, you know, with a group that, that's good at doing it, you know, it, it maybe it's marginally different. Maybe it takes, you know, maybe it takes, you know, 75 to 90 days versus 60 to 75 days to get it all moved over. But you know, it's it's so much more worth it. And then you're fine, and then you're done. And you never have to be unhappy again. You know, and that's, I think most people just move because they're unhappy and they're thinking, at least I'll try to get out of here another four to five years. I say, just skip the whole process and just go straight to straight to the happy land. Because that's really what it is. I, uh, I agree. There's no one better to answer that question. So I appreciate it very much. Um, Alex, we've known each other a long time. I'm, I'm so happy with your growth. Um, it's so awesome to see, and, um, I'm looking forward and seeing, uh, more to come. I've been speaking with, uh, many financial advisors that have been thrilled with, 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 with new edge. So congrats again. We appreciate it. And thanks to your, uh, also congrats to your success too, Corey. I know you've come from internal to start your own company and you're killing it. So it's awesome to watch as well. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. I really, really hope you find this podcast of value. If you do, please make sure to subscribe and share it with your friends.